you're smiling. We haven't clapped in so long. I haven't we seen haven't your clapped. face. I know. It's so weird, right? That's a good enough intro. Welcome back to Shipton After Dark, everybody. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. It's currently mid-September. I know. And we our last episode was in July. Yeah. And I know that we said we were going to take a short break and then the pandemic didn't let up, got worse. RBG died. Everything has gone to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And I think Mary and I have just been trying to take care of ourselves and our families the best that we can. And I mean, I I don't even have the words. I think that both of us realized that we were in a place of prioritizing self-care over sitting down and recording once a week. Mm -hmm. And we just had to refocus. I mean, I think that there's this thing that comes with this pandemic where we've reached this point of exhaustion right? Mm -hmm. I think that it demands so much from us in terms of, you know, you got to go to work every day, you got to go to school or get your kids to school or, you know, keep, keep your house clean all the time, go to the grocery store, do all these things. And these things that used to be so simple and easy and stress-free that you wouldn't think twice. Now you're thinking, is this the time I might get COVID? Might I bring COVID home to a family member who's immunocompromised? How am I going to keep myself safe? How am I going to limit my exposure? And then the things you used to do to defuse or keep yourself calm, like just go out one weekend night to a bar and have a good time with your friends. You don't do that anymore. So now you're taking away all of your stress and coping mechanisms and layering in this huge event. And there's only so long you can do that before you're like, I have to go into my shell for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's a never ending stream of making decisions. And for me, making decisions always have to come at the sacrifice of something else. So I'm either sacrificing my work life if I choose to sit down and have lunch with my kids, or I'm sacrificing mm -hmm. time with my kids if I kick them out of the room because I got to get on a work phone call. If I want to sit down and watch a TV show at the end of the night, it's like I'm doing it in a dirty house. Because if I if I don't sit down and watch the TV show, there's laundry to do and there's dishes to put away. And there's, yep. I mean, we moved in July, there's still a box sitting over there on the floor of like random stuff that we got to put away. You know, it's just, it's constant and there's no breaks. I know that I've talked a million times on the podcast about how my kids are, I mean, I I love my kids. My kids are amazing. My kids are almost five and two and a half. And they have gone through such huge changes in the last six months. My two-year-old is talking in complete sentences. She's hilarious. She's like a new person and hasn't gotten to see her grandparents. And the five-year-old started school with a new teacher and Zoom in her room. And it's just like, there is so much that we haven't even taken the time to really process any of these things. And on top of it, all the things that you mentioned about the pandemic and this looming threat of getting sick, every time I turn on the news, I'm reminded of the fucking negligence and mismanagement that has happened at basically all levels of government on this thing, minus the Supreme Court. And on the Supreme Court issue, like, you know, this is the stuff that keeps me awake at night. It's terrifying to be alive right now. And we're all in America, I should say. And we're all just like still kind of expected to go through the motions. Like you you just got a brand new job in the middle of all this. Yeah. So I after having like guided this clinic that I have through going through changing our entire operations, the way we manage operations and everything, 
into something completely different and, you know, changing our team and just making all of these massive changes. I got a new job that I start next week, which is weird because it'll be working remote. I'll still be in the veterinary industry, but it's just crazy to think that this is a time in which you're job seeking and changing jobs. I'm super stoked about that because now I won't be driving to work every day and I won't be exposed to other people every day and I won't be dealing with angry clients because I can tell you right now that nothing makes people more abusive and impatient and intolerant and angry than a pandemic. I mean, it's an ugly world out there on so many levels. I think we joked about this months ago, because at the very beginning of the pandemic, Allison and I sat down to watch The Hunger Games in its entirety when it was playing Mm -hmm. on TV. And we kind of joked about how scary it was. And it is scary watching it again. And now here we are four months later, five months later, I'm like really terrified. And I don't even I don't even talk about it that much because it's hard for Allison when I get super apocalyptic about things. But just everything that is going on and the election that is coming up, literally every time I turn on the news, I'm like, okay, am I, 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 it's a constant balance between wanting to stay informed and stay abreast of everything that's going on, but knowing that it's just going to keep me awake at night. Yeah. Yeah. It's at some point though, it doesn't feel like it changes, right? It feels like no matter what you see on the news or no matter what you listen to, it just feels like it's all the same bombardment of corruption. Horseshit. Yeah. Yeah. Just absolute horseshit. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I listen to NPR every day. I keep up with it too. But at some point I just feel like my frontal lobe is melting hearing it. It just feels like it's all the same shit. I just, it's almost as if you're being driven into this place of being unable to react to it anymore. Yeah. Like numbness. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. I mean, years from now, I guess we're going to look back at this time and there's going to be huge like generational trauma that happens to all of us, depending on, you know, your different age and where you are in your life. Like every single person is going to be affected by it. And, and like I said, I'm just trying to do the best that I can to take care of myself, to continue to engage with my children and answer their questions. I mean, like big shit is going on. And, And on top of this, all the racial injustice that's going on and those conversations that we're having, every single question, I feel like, you know, to backtrack for a second, when Allison and I decided to have kids, I made a promise to myself that I would be as honest with them as I could, because I can recall times in my life where as a child or as a younger person, I asked my parents a question and they either lied to me or told me not the whole truth. And I have a really good memory when it comes to stuff like that. And so years later, when I figured out the answer, I was like, well, why didn't they just tell me? And so I try to answer my kids' questions always like in an age-appropriate way that they can understand, which means that right now we're answering really fucking tough questions about why George Floyd died. And we, you know, we got this whole series of books about ordinary people and how they changed the world. And it's like Billie Jean King and Rosa Parks and Walt Disney and all these different people. And, and the ones that we're talking about, like Harriet Tubman and Rosa Parks, the questions that Ruthie is asking, she's so, she's, she gets it, you know, she gets it in like her five-year-old brain. 
And it's just heartbreaking to have to tell her the truth about all these things and that we really haven't come that far. And so I don't know. I mean, like, I think everybody, we've been talking about it for eight minutes now, and I know we're going to go on for another hour. I, I, I hope everybody can realize that we, Shivden After Dark and the Gentleman Jack community is so important to me, and I know that it is to you too. And so for me and Mary, I know that we took off more time that we than we meant to. And it's just hard. I think everybody can relate to that. Just the things that, that bring you such joy, catching up with your friends, talking about your favorite TV shows, even that stuff is really hard right now to make space in your head to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I think that, you know, it's been something that we, I mean, we've lost as a family for sure, because... I mean, we used to, and I mean, you know this, we used to hang out with our friends four or five nights a week easily, our in-person friends. And we went from that to nothing until from March until my birthday. They came over and we sat around our fire pit at our house on my birthday, which was probably the best birthday present I've ever gotten. (laughs) And then after that, we went on to have once a week outdoor dinners with our friends. Yeah. But you start to realize how much you miss these people and how critical they are to your mental health. Right. So you realize maybe retrospectively how for granted you took the people in your life and how close you are to them and how comfortable you are with them and how much like family they are. And how you can't really function without them as a normal adult human. And you, they're just part of your daily life. They're, you, they seem to just be like part of the fabric of your life. But it's so easy to just tear that fabric in two. You know, it's it's strange how something like this can just rip it out from under you. And then, then what? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the people that I was seeing every day were my colleagues at work. I mean, our legal department is pretty small and and I'm close with everybody. You know, we know each other's kids and you know what's going on in people's lives. And now we talk over Skype. Sometimes it's not as collaborative as it used to be, obviously, but yeah, you can't just walk down the hall and ask a question or something. Yeah, you can't just walk down the hall. But like once a month, we still have our legal meeting where we kind of go over big stuff that we need to talk about. A lot of it has obviously been focused on COVID and how that's affecting our productions and filming and stuff. But once a month, we do our big legal meeting with our whole department and we do it over Zoom, Teams, whatever the Microsoft one is. And just over the past six months, the energy is everybody's just so deflated. Even my boss, who's, you know, the fearless leader of our group, you can just see how she's like at the end of the meetings, nobody wants to say goodbye. And it's a legal meeting. It's boring, you know, and it's just like at the end, she's like, well, it's good to see all of you guys. And everybody's just like, it's so sad and so weird. Well, you guys used to have like wine, like well, yeah, we used wine to do our- afternoons, <laughs> wine socials and stuff. I mean, you guys used to do stuff at work that was fun, you mm-hmm. know? We did birthdays. We would do, we would go get lunch together. We would sit outside. I mean, we would, everybody would share all the drama going on on their productions. It's just very, it's working from home is very hard because if you take the people out of it, I literally just do contracts all day and emails, you know, like if you take the people away from it, we're still making movies. But for the summer, we weren't, you know, we weren't even doing that. 
So yeah, on that note, we have resumed production. As you can imagine, it is a little crazy, but everybody is, things are going well so far, knock on wood. The way that productions have, you know, I can only speak for what our group is doing, but the way that it seems like a lot of productions are doing are kind of splitting crew into the essential people that need to be on set and everybody else is working from home and the people of the people that are on set the people who have to interact with actors like hair and makeup people you know the people that are like right next to them and need to be in their face are getting tested every day and everybody who's in the outer group who is on set but doesn't have to touch them or come within six feet of them is getting tested a couple times a week and it's crazy. And yeah, it's crazy. It's been it's been crazy, but you know, like this is what we have to do to try to keep bringing people content and entertainment in a time when they need it most. Which I just I keep seeing these posts that make me absolutely insane where people post and they say I've needed a firefighter, I've needed a police officer, but I've never needed an actor or an artist or whatever. I see this shit all the time. It makes me nuts. Oh my god, I've never yeah. even if I saw one of those, I would lose my mind. Right. Every time I see it, it makes me crazy. And I just think the thing that is getting people through this pandemic in any sort of sane sense is art and community that's it look at what happened when chadwick boseman died i mean it just knocked everybody's socks off because that guy meant so much to so many people like i i think i've said this before i used to have a boss who would say if footage or something missed its flight she would say well you know it's not like we're saving lives and i was like that's easy for you to say somebody who had television or a film that really meant something to them that's a person of color or a gay person or something that someone that wasn't normally represented in that stuff like don't say that shit to us because it does actually save lives yeah absolutely having representation is more important now than ever when people who are already depressed or despairing are put in positions where they're even more isolated it just slides them down further and Sometimes media is the only way that people can find community, which is why it's so fucking important. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's why we started doing this in the first place. Yeah, it is. It is why we started doing this in the first place. It's why we're still doing it now, albeit slower. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, what kind of cool stuff have you been watching since we well we should say for the record mary and i have been talking all the time or texting at least yeah during the hiatus of our episode so we haven't been recording but we've been in touch with each other the whole time so but i haven't asked you what you've been watching lately okay so we just started watching ratchet with sarah paulson it's really good so far there's definite gay stuff. Is it Cynthia Nixon who's also in it? Yeah. Okay. okay. Cynthia Nixon takes Sarah Paulson's character to a dive bar that is a lesbian bar in episode two. So it's not really a spoiler. So uh, really fantastic. Love that show. And I love lesbians playing lesbians. It's so awesome. Yes. Isn't it excellent when people actually get the roles that fit their actual life? And then we watched Shit's Creek, which really, really good. Yeah, I feel like we were kind of behind the eight ball on that one. We haven't watched season six yet, but we watched everything that's on Netflix. I think we're we're like in the middle of season four, I think. So we're not all the way through it either. 
Yeah, we it kind of was like a momentum thing. So I'd been trying to get everybody to watch it for a little while. And then we finally rounded back to it. And then, you know, after we got through season one, it just didn't stop. We were watching like seven or eight episodes a day. It was nuts. It's really, really good. What have you guys been watching? So I got all the way caught up on Winona Earp about a month ago because I hadn't finished it. And they're, I think, on hiatus. Like they did a mid-season finale. Have you caught up? I haven't. Okay. So it's good. I mean, I love that show. And that show is so unabashedly gay. And it's so great. I love the cast. I love Emily Andrus, who's the writer. I just, that show is so great and does so much for representation. The gay fans saved that show. Oh, yeah. And so they really gave homage to the gay fans. I know. She paid (laughs) us back by making it like the gayest show of all time. It's so great. And both of the characters who play the gay ones in the show, Waverly and um, Nicole Hot, have come out as queer in real life, which I think is so cool. And they're just like so invested in it. And it's so fun to see people really lean into that. I know a lot of shows have gone the other way on that. And it totally backfires because like, do you really want to piss off the gays? Really? Like, that's not a good strategy. Not now. (laughs) And I watched The Old Guard, which I think some people had mentioned. I know that there was some Facebook posts about it. Was that any good? I really liked it. It was heavy for me. And I don't want to tell you why, but... But I liked it. I'll watch anything with Charlize Theron. She kicks so much ass. Fair enough. And now we have just started the first season of Umbrella Academy. So we're like Uh, a handful of episodes in. We did binge season two of Umbrella Academy, which also gets gay. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I mean, season one is super good. It's hard for me and Allison to book. This is a show where I obviously can't do anything but watch the show. I can't be doing something else at the same time. So we've had to really like schedule during the day getting all the other stuff done so we can sit down and watch it. So we're moving slowly but surely. It's good. It's it's totally worth it. You're going to love it. I think that, oh, what else is it that we've watched that's really good? We watched a movie that was really fantastic recently. Oh, oh, Away. Is this the Hillary Swank one? It is the Hillary Swank okay, one. Everybody has been telling me that I look like Hillary Swank in that show. I've got I can see it. I've gotten Hillary Swank pretty consistently throughout my life, but for whatever reason, this show, every, so many people have texted me and been like, I'm watching it. She looks exactly like you. I could totally see it. I'll take it. You need to watch it. Yeah. She's hot in that show too. That's cool. Yeah. She's like a commander of a Mars space flight. All right. Sexy astronaut. I can get behind it. Have you watched the trailer for Ammonite? I have. I'm a little worried because I've I've read some things saying it's not that good or that it's no like comparison to Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I was kind of on the fence about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, as you know. So I love the character. They're not the characters, but the actors in Ammonite. So I am looking forward to it still. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think I sent you that Hollywood Reporter article where they talk about they, I mean, everybody's been talking to Kate Winslet about it. Kate Winslet is also super hot. She's just so phenomenal. She's like one of the greatest living actors. Saoirse Ronan, too. They're both really great. So I'm excited. I, I, I'm i excited. I have high expectations, I guess. Maybe I should lower them based on what you're saying. But it's always good to just come in low and then just be blown away. <laughs> just come in expecting it to be mediocre and then you'll be like, it's hard though because like these days we're getting more and more queer content and it's hard to not raise your expectations a little. But you know, 
Yeah. It is. But that's the thing, though, that we've talked about before when people have been like, I can't believe you didn't like X, Y, or Z. Well, Carol, the thing is... Hashtag never forget. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> hashtag everyone's so salty about Carol. But the reality is that we get to not like things now. I mean, before, I think that we were all just so thirsty for any amount of content that we were so grateful to just get whatever we could get. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I mean, we absolutely we're grateful for it. And I was too. But now we can just say, this isn't my thing. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. But it can be not your thing. But and you can find something else that is your thing. Because there's enough queer content out there. Like the queer content in Umbrella Academy. It doesn't get a happy ending. I know that was the thing that I bitched about in Carol, but I still kind of liked it. <laughs> it hurts so good. So, I mean, it's just, you know, one of those things where you're just like, this is the thing that we get to do now. We get to pick yeah, you and get choose. To, you get to be choosy. Exactly. Yeah. We don't have to be beggars. We could be choosers. There's something great about that. Yeah. There's something great about like getting on Tumblr and being like, ooh, I don't, there are going to be new gifts for things that I haven't seen yet. Yeah. You know, ooh, what's this show? Because that used to be so rare. You'd be like, ooh, what's this show? Something's gay. It's Winona Earp. Let's check this out. And now it's like just all the time. Shows have queer characters or queer storylines or it's great. I love it. Yeah. Now you just see two girls kissing and you don't even know where it's coming from anymore. What a world. <laughs> This is the plus side. I don't know. Not for long. Okay. So I think we have to talk about a terrible elephant in the room, which is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. And I'm still really in shock and reeling from that. because I wasn't expecting it. Me neither. I, I've been talking to my best friend from law school and both of us were like, I honestly thought she was just not going to die. Like that she just wouldn't die. That they were somehow injecting her with some sort of preservative. Yeah. And... <laughs> Yeah, I just well, think it's like every have... article kept being like, she's recovered, she's doing well, etc. Yeah, so I just I I'm so worried about the implication of that in so many different ways, like in so many nerdy legal ways. We well, I do have a nerdy legal question for you. So here's something that some one of my friends brought up the other night, which I think will never happen for political reasons. But I'm just curious what your thoughts on it are, is they were saying that if Joe Biden gets elected, he should just expand the Supreme Court and install more justices. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is what will happen. Do you really think that is what will happen? Yes. I think that if if you know who manages to seat a conservative... I think that there will be a conservative justice seated, but yeah, that's and something else. And I think part of the reason I'm so sickened by it is that I've started... I started looking at the opinions and the writings of the people that he's looking at. And it's just, it's pretty dire. I mean, I have a lot of faith in the legal system and in jurists and in lawyers to be able to not infuse their own personal ideologies, religious beliefs, political beliefs, and all that into their work. I have a lot of faith in people to do that. But I know that there are times when they get it wrong. And I know that there are times when it's just tricky. I mean, like there is really shitty Supreme Court precedent that exists. There were times when 
we the Supreme Court ruled that black people were not entitled to the same legal protections as white people. I mean, like there yeah. has been bad law before there will be bad law again. And so I think that the reason that I don't personally have a problem with that plan is that number one, it's not constitutionally mandated how many justices are on the Supreme Court. And I think that if you look at the scenario from the standpoint that Trump has managed to not play fair, Merrick Garland wasn't confirmed. And now we're talking about him having put, I don't even remember the number of of judges on the federal bench, but now three Supreme Court appointees, it just seems like he weaseled that out. And I think that a proper and appropriate response to that is to put in a couple others to even it out. Because we're talking about a number of things that are going to be decided in the next four years. And you've got a bench if he puts Amy, what's her face on there, Amy Coney Barrett, or somebody else who's that conservative like socially conservative. I'm not talking about fiscal conservatives. Th- that doesn't bother me at all. You you have no. Your you can be fiscally you, yeah. conservative all you want. That's fine. Do it. I'm talking about healthcare issues, immigration issues, gun reform issues, LGBT issues, T issues. T gets its own fucking letter. T issues. Like those are the ones where even the people that are young Republicans, I think, lean socially less conservative. Those are the issues where I think you have so much that's at stake for people, people's marriages, people's livelihoods. It's, it, it isn't fair. And that's why I know if that's what the Democrats decide to put a couple other justices on the bench, I'm going to be fucking in favor of it. I don't have a problem I, with I'm that. I'm totally in favor of it. I just worry that it won't happen, that that won't be the route we go. I do want to reel it back a little bit though, because I know we have a lot of listeners who aren't from the US and maybe some people who are in the US and don't actually know how this works. So there's three branches of government, right? So there's the legislative, the judicial, and the um, executive branch. So those are the three branches. The judicial is the Supreme Court, the legislative is the Senate and the House, and the executive is the president. Okay, so we have those three branches, the Supreme Court being the judicial branch. Now with the Supreme Court, if somebody takes a case, all to, and I know the answer to this, but I'm asking you because I want you to explain this to people. If somebody takes a case and they fight it in the lowest court of the land and they get denied, they can appeal it. They can go to a federal court. They appeal that, they go up further. They appeal that, they go further. They appeal that, they go to, they end up in the Supreme Court because there's precedent for them to end up at the Supreme Court. They have to submit that case and the Supreme Court has to agree to hear it. If they deny to hear it, then they're done with that case. So let's say the Supreme Court hears it and the Supreme Court doesn't rule in your favor then what? Well, okay. First of all, let me say that was everything that you said was mostly right. The lawyers who are listening in will go, okay, you know, there are Supreme Court does take some cases of first impression. So there are some cases that just go directly to the Supreme Court. So that's one thing. We also have state courts and federal courts. So depending on what your issue is and who's involved, it goes to specific courts. When something goes up to the Supreme Court and they they decline to hear it, it goes back to whatever the last court was that ruled on it. So if you don't get the outcome that you want, on the facts of that case, whatever the specific facts were of that case, that's kind of the end of it. The way that this plays out is that the Supreme Court can rule on things broadly or narrowly. They can rule on your specific case, and every case has to have like a certain set of facts that's 
that's not moot, right? It can't be something that's over. We don't need to decide this anymore. It has to directly affect you, right? You have to be the person bringing the case. So there are a lot of procedural issues that come up, but they can, if they rule on something narrowly, they say, well, it's just going to apply to the facts of this case. If it comes up in a different way, we're gonna, we're not going to say how we'd rule on that case. We're just saying how we'd rule on this case. There are times when the Supreme Court rules broadly, like they did in one of the marriage equality cases where we didn't expect them to rule that broadly, where they said, no, you can't, you can't, if somebody is legally married in the state that they live in, federally, you have to accept it, you have to recognize it. So it kind of depends. A lot of these things will turn based on what the specific facts are and how narrowly they're going to tailor their ruling. But but like I said, there are times it gets it wrong. You know, there are times that it rules really scarily. And so I don't want to panic everybody. But I do think that there is a lot of cause for concern if they manage to get a third super conservative justice on the bench, especially, especially, it just pains me so much that that they would do it in this way, replacing RBG in this way. And this is somebody, whether you're liberal or not, that has made incredible strides for women over the past four decades, not just on the Supreme Court, the decades before that, when she was a lawyer, she was arguing in front of the Supreme Court. There are conservative women who couldn't be doing what they're doing without the things that RBG has done. Exactly. I just think that when it comes to the legacy that she has created, like, you know, women going to military academies and shit like that, it's it's so much bigger than her that to replace her with somebody so socially conservative, it's just like, you know, those it's like the end of the Hunger Games where it's just so fucked. Like, it's just so messed up that that's how it would come into play. And my my mother-in-law asked me this question which was I think an appropriate follow-up question. Say Biden gets elected and we do put some more justices on the Supreme Court, what's to stop people from doing that the next time around and the next time around? And it's kind of like, you know what? 4 years from now, I think you end up with an even bench and I think things have slowed and I think you kind of it balances out. I think People are heated on this issue right now because we got fucked over the last time around and it's fresh in everybody's mind. And it's going to, like I said, really change the scope of how the Supreme Court rules on big issues coming down the pike in the next four years. I think four years from now, it's going to be a really different scenario. So I don't know. We may have bigger issues to deal with if if somebody, you know, if he doesn't get reelected and then he won't even leave the White House in the first place. Oh, they'll have to go pry him out with a crowbar. <laughs> but the reality is that, I mean, if if something isn't done to even out the Supreme Court, these are young enough justices at this stage, most of them are, if not almost all of them, that these are the rulings we will be dealing with for the rest of our lives. This is our generation of law. This is how our lives will be influenced in the United and States. And our kids, our kids' lives. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So everything that in, in law is a slow moving change. So basically what happens is the rules that these that this Supreme Court decides would have to be changed by our kids and the change that they make would not be seen till their kids' generation. So for just as a lay down for people who are maybe not in the United States, don't really get how it works. These justices are so critically important because the changes that they make are generations to undo. Yeah. And I think part of the reason it's so hard right now is because we're seeing 
like you you explained the three branches of government, you have the executive branch. Obviously, Trump is doing whatever he can to get his way on whatever issues he finds. Yeah, important signing at the bills yeah, and banning TikTok executive and all orders and bullshit. Shit. And then you have Congress and Congress is made up of the Senate and the House and the Republicans are in control of the Senate and the Democrats are in control of the House. And it's hard to get things done, but this is the way the government works. And so when you have, I don't want to say bad players, but people who are playing underhanded in two of those branches of government, the third one, the judicial branch is supposed to be checks and balances. The reason that the government was set up this way is that so neither one of the, not any of the different branches wields too much power. They're all supposed to check and balance each other out. And so the reason that I find, to me, like I said, I mean, I'm a lawyer. I I tend to believe I know that that we get it wrong a lot of the times on things like death penalty and and prisons, like tons of shit, we get it wrong. But I like to have faith in the system, the integrity of the system as a whole. I don't know if that's making sense, but it is. I, I like to have faith in the people who who make up the system, and and it's just getting harder and harder and harder to have faith in that system right now, which is why I think it's so frustrating. So. TBD, we're going to see what happens. I mean, like, you know. Yeah. I think that what I hope for is that Biden does get elected and that he puts in the additional justices. But that's that's where I'm at right now. I I do want to say, I think for me personally, it's been really cool to see the progression of a lot of people in my life over the past, I don't know, 10 years. I mean, People who, when I first moved to LA, one of our best friends is is from the Midwest and her family is super conservative. And 10 years ago, she was really struggling to have these kinds of conversations with them. Even four years ago, when we were talking about Trump the first time, you know, to get up in people's faces. And this happened earlier this summer, too, with all the racial injustice that's going on. I'm seeing people who I never thought would speak out start to speak out and speak out aggressively and show how these things are impacting their lives and their friends' lives. I think people are getting more pissed off and are being more fiercely protective of their beliefs and fiercely protective of their friends who are facing all the kinds of bullshit that people are facing. I mean, it it is a crazy crazy time to be living in yeah it really is it's kind of one of those evolve or die type situations like you have to take a stance for what you believe in and you have to start being vocal about it because the things that people are suffering through in this world right now are not things that we can be silent about this brings up a good point because I think one of the ways that you and I are different from people 20, 30, 40 years older than us, and any of our listeners, feel free to chime in and and correct us. But I think that our generation does a much better job of paying attention to where we spend our money, who we're working for. I mean, you and I had a conversation a while ago about one of the things that you liked about this new job, you know, like... We like to work for people who we feel like align with our belief system. I'm getting emails all the time about things that my studio is doing to engage in diverse, you know, trying to get diverse creators, writers, that thing. We're doing a lot of internal discussions. The out group has had virtual screenings and stuff this summer to talk about ways that we can get involved. It's important to us to be working for people. We don't want people to be silent on this shit. No, we want to know that our employers are 
engaged in activity that aligns with our morals and our beliefs because the reality is that our generation is spending so much time engaged in work that we bring it home with us. I don't, I mean, I don't know about you, but at least at the clinic I'm currently at, I'm on my phone seven days a week with employees, things like that. When I'm investing that much time in a job, I want to know that it aligns with my values. And I want to know that it is speaking to my values because I'm representing them and they're representing me. And I want to have that pride. I want to know, I want to be able to share posts that they're making or share things that they're doing and say, look at how they're emulating the values that I speak to. It's important. It's critically important. And I think, and I've, I've taken marketing classes, a significant number of marketing classes where basically that is a broad overview, a generational dichotomy where people of our generation shop brands that speak to their ethical values, whether that's from conserving the environment to Black Lives Matter to whatever it is, that when you're looking to attract a demographic, if it's our generation, then you better be speaking to a moral and ethical value. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I just think, I do think that that is definitely a generational thing. And I don't think it's right or wrong necessarily in terms of the older generation not being as vocal, I do think that they have causes that matter to them and they contribute to them in different ways. But I think that that's something that's distinctive about our generation. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I meant it in the sense that I know, you know, 20 years ago, people were working one job and having it for a much longer time than people our age are having jobs because there's not that same sense of loyalty. I mean, like if you're not going to appreciate the work that we're doing, and like you said, we're not, if you're not going to line up with our values and we're having to spend so much time working, then, then we're going to go somewhere else. Well, and not only that, there's so much opportunity out there that you can just, if you can't grow up in a place, you'll grow out. And there's a lot of that as well in management and leadership that you should always be looking to grow your employees out of your business because there's going to be more for you to grow within. So if you're trying to keep your employees under your employee constantly, you're only going to make them unhappy. You should always be looking for what their goals and their dreams are and grow them into their goals and dreams, even if that is an outlier of what your company can provide them. That way you keep them, retain them as long as you possibly can. You should be in charge, Mary. <laughs> not That's anymore. Why they pay you the big bucks. Yeah, now I'm not going to be in charge of this new job. It's going to be great. <laughs> I'm in charge of my own little department of things, but not in charge of a whole business anymore. It's going to be really nice. How's the fam? The fam's good. So I know that we've, that I've kind of alluded to it in a couple of podcasts, but not really like. Yeah, talked. you've been dancing around it. <laughs> I've been dancing, dancing. I'm really good at dancing. Um, but only this kind of dancing, not actual dancing. <laughs> um, so Nicole and I have been dating someone for about a year. Uh, so she's been living with us since we moved back from LA. I think LA was the tightest for that. Yeah. We talked about that. <laughs> like We came to LA and we came back and she never left after that. <laughs> So, um, her name is Olivia. And so we have been living together since January and we celebrated our one year anniversary earlier this month. So we've all been together by the year. Yeah, it is pretty cute. I know. And every time I talk to Mary, she's always like, oh, the girls are like, you know, cuddling on the couch or the girls are like making dinner in the kitchen. It's so sweet. 
yeah, it's pretty great. I never saw myself as being someone that was polyamorous, but I think it's just one of those things where you meet the right person at the right time and you find someone who's exactly right, not only for you, but for your partner, which is so important. But yeah, I think Olivia is just pretty perfect. And do you guys, well, I also think that you guys communicate exceptionally well because you kind of, from what I can tell, and you can always jump in because I can't speak for you, but just as an outsider kind of watching you over the last year, it seems like you guys have done such a good job of pushing out whatever the expectations, like making sure that there are no expectations and that you guys just continue to communicate and do what works for you guys, you know, in terms of your individual relationships with each other, your your relationships as a your relationship as a threesome, you know, like physical things, emotional things, just going by whatever works for you guys. And I think that's so cool because there aren't any rules. You get to make them up as you go, you know? Yeah. That's I think that's the the hard part, right? Because when you try to like Google polyamory <laughs> and how how to polyamory, there's no rule book. If you Google like for couple, you know, problems online or not even problems, but just like how to be good in a relationship online, you can find a bajillion resources for couples. But with polyamory, there's like a subreddit. (laughs) I think that's it. There's some books, not very many, but I think that exactly what you said, I mean, there are no rules. So you have to kind of make them up as you go. And I think that all cornerstones around clear communication and constant communication because we it is three relationships so it's my relationship with olivia olivia's relationship with nicole and my relationship with nicole all under the umbrella of our relationship with one another so it's i guess that's four relationships that's a lot I of relationships <laughs> i know i can't even keep count anymore so it's just this whole thing where you just realize that everybody's individual relationship has to be dictated by the two people within that relationship. Even though that's hard sometimes because everybody's moving at a different pace physically and emotionally because we're all at different comfort levels because we all have different personalities and having to accept that was difficult at first as well. But then once that was established, everything was smooth after that. And then also that our relationship together has its own set of rules as well. So it's just talking. It's always just constantly talking. But then the outcropping of that is that there's always someone there for someone. Always. Like, which is a beautiful thing, right? When you think about it, there's never a time that any of us can't call someone and talk to them. There's never a time that there's not a support system there. And I'm not saying that as couples that you can't construct something like that, because certainly you can. But I never have to think, you know, oh, there's a doctor's appointment. I can't go with Nicole. I can just be like, I know that I can make this work commitment happen because Olivia can go with Nicole. And I know that it's just as good as if I was there because Olivia loves Nicole like I do. Or I know that if Nicole can't make something with me, Olivia will be there. Or I know that, you know, if I can't, if Olivia can't do something, I can be there or whatever. And I think that there's this, I forget who talked about it, but somebody was asking this like, really famous woman who's an author, you know, how do you manage your expectations of family life and being a successful business person or whatever? And she said, you know, you have to realize that life is 
basically juggling, right? Oh, the glass and the plastic thing. I read this yesterday. Yeah. So you have to realize that life is like juggling and some balls are glass and some balls are plastic and you can drop the plastic balls, but you can't drop the glass balls. So you might have to work. You might have to be dropping a plastic work ball to catch a glass family ball or vice versa. You might have to drop a plastic family ball to catch a glass work ball. But the reality is knowing which ones you can drop and which ones you can't drop. And I think that the beautiful thing about this specific relationship is that if I'm going to drop a ball, whether it's glass or plastic, there's always someone there to catch it, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's so awesome. It's interesting that it's a juggling ball metaphor since there are none. There are none balls. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of boobs. There are always boobs. (laughs) Yeah, lots of boobs and hair, I bet. I bet there's hair everywhere. (laughs) I can't talk about the hair. Sometimes I just go to take a shower and it's just t- just hair. hair wall. The hair yeah. wall. I forgot about the hair wall until so when we moved in July and for whatever reason at our old place I always showered in the other bathroom. Like we had two bathrooms, one of them was bigger and one of them was in the room in our bed like attached to the bedroom. So I was showered in the other one so I wouldn't wake them up in the morning. Well, now Allison and I are sharing a bathroom again here and she puts her hair on the shower wall and I had to text my college roommate because my college roommate used to get so mad at me for doing that. And now my wife does it. Yeah. But time out. I want to go back to something. So are you guys out to people? How how out are you to friends, colleagues, family, etc.? So not out at work. I am out at my new job, but not out currently at work. Out to friends, out to family. I mean, out to anyone who asks. And has the response been positive, mixed? What do you think? Pretty positive. I think that for Olivia's parents, they were just like, whatever makes you happy, which was really cool. Olivia's parents are really cool. Nicole's mom was just like, (laughs) after the gay thing, I don't know (laughs) what I was expecting. (laughs) So I think that was fine. But... Yeah, I think that overall the response has been pretty neutral to positive, not really negative. I think it's one of those things that's just weird to navigate, though, because you're like, it kind of makes almost more sense to take the word spouse out of it because you don't want to just be like, here's my spouse and then here's our partner because it kind of reduces Olivia's role in our relationship because it's very equivocal, right? So it's almost makes more sense just to be like, here are my two partners because while Nicole and I are married, I view that very much as at this stage in our relationship, I view that as more of a piece of paper that the two of us share and our relationships are all very equal, in that sense. So while we may enjoy legal benefits from that, it's not really any more emotionally valuable than the other relationship. So it's kind of like very similar. So I think that's more the hard thing than anything is how do I impart the fact that they are of equal emotional value to anyone who is just encountering us. But see, this goes back to the communication thing, because just hearing you talk about it, I can tell that you're so cognizant of it, you know, like the words that you use matter and trying to not counteract, but just acknowledge the fact that you and Nicole are married. So there's always going to be that like, from Olivia's perspective, maybe feeling of inferiority that that you guys are going to have to counterbalance. And I just think it's so cool 
I don't mean to put words in anybody's mouth and I don't know. I don't, I haven't talked to Olivia. I don't know how she feels, but I can imagine that just the words that you use and, and that kind of language, you have to be so aware of it and how it can impact people's. Yeah. I, I just think it's so cool. And I'm so happy for you guys. And every time I talk to you, you're just like so happy. I know I don't see all of it, but I remember talking to you about, I mean, just like thinking- You were the first person I told. I know. Ever. Yeah, I remember. And I just, it's so cool to see how far you've come in a year. And from my, from what I've seen, like there haven't been huge roadblocks. You guys have really been able to navigate it the whole time and be really happy. And I just think that that's so cool the way that you guys have been able to navigate it. And I love that you're being so open about it. And thank you for always answering my questions because I love learning about it. Yeah, I think it's something that's really unique and probably a little bit strange to some people. And like I said, it's not something I ever saw myself doing. But And there's no question that there have been difficult times and times when it has been emotionally very challenging. But it has been rewarding. And I think from the very beginning, I've seen that this has been something that could be very fulfilling for all of us. And... I'm excited to see where it is now. And it's something that takes a lot of emotional labor and a lot of willingness to be open. And a lot of times where we've had to say, we need to have a, con- or we need to have a hard conversation about something that's going to suck. And we've had to sit down and have those conversations. And I think that unless you're willing to have those conversations, it's definitely not the kind of thing that you would want to get into <laughs> because you have three people with independent minds and independent relationships and independent hearts and also insecurities. Yeah, three women. Three women. And we all know how much, you know, loving women relationships involve talking and how you make all those together. Yeah. So, I mean, but to me, it's worth it because there's so much benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, when I hear the two of them laughing together and I know that they're having a good time, like they're building a chicken coop last weekend. I mean, they're still building it, but when I go outside and they're like fake enraged at each other, but just working on something together and Olivia's just yelling at Nicole, you're driving me crazy woman (laughs) and just like charging around the yard with two by fours. And Nicole is, you know, picking fun at her about the way she's talking. And it's just, it's things like that where you just have those, yeah, you have those domestic bliss moments and you're like, okay. Oh, speaking of domestic bliss, what's going on in the world of the Anns? So I know that there's a conference this weekend. I'm doing a little bingo thing for it, but that Steph and Lydia put together a research summit, which is really cool, completely online. That's super cool. I also wanted to say, I know that Mary and I are behind. There have been some emails and some messages and stuff. We're behind on stuff. Like I said earlier, we love all of you. I know I haven't been super active on Facebook recently just because Facebook can be very toxic for me. It is very hard for me to not get into arguments with people in the comment section. And that is a complete waste of my time and energy. So I just try to stay off Facebook altogether. But I have been rundled a couple times because I know Sophie Rundle is posting on Instagram again, which just makes me so happy. Yeah, I miss everybody. Are they still zooming all the time? No, I haven't seen as many zoom groups. But I think that a lot of those people have been working on the summit. So maybe they'll come back around after the summit is done. Yeah. And as far as I know, we don't have any more news on Gentleman Jack season two. Are they even filming yet? I haven't seen anything. 
So I know that for a while there was talk about them starting to shoot in October because I know Shipton Hall was going to be closed. However, I know that things in the UK are not all the way back to normal. And I know that things are have gotten have kind of taken a turn back in the wrong direction. So I don't know what's happening. And it may be a while before filming starts and before we obviously see any episodes. So who knows? Yeah, I think that's kind of where everything is at right now. Who knows? We just got to keep kind of plugging along as we are and going from point A to point B. (laughs) Maybe we'll have a vaccine in six months. I don't even know. I'm trying to take it one day at a time and laugh when funny shit happens and cry and cry until I laugh and laugh until I cry. Fortunately, we're all safe and healthy. So it's quarantine and I have a child sitting on my lap. Can you say hi, Rosie? She says no. But this is it. You know, it's like we're taking it one day at a time. I'm hugging my kids because the way that a four-year-old and a two-year-old manifest anxiety and everything that's going on. It's just like, just the most we can do is be present, I guess. I don't even know, you know? Yeah. What else can we do? I mean, all you can do is take every day and live it to its fullest because tomorrow maybe everything might be shut down. You might be sick. Everything might be completely reopened. There might be a vaccine. Who knows what tomorrow is? I think this is the most surreal and unexpected experience of our generation. Oh, without a doubt. And maybe of our, our the next generation as well. It's definitely a thing. It's definitely, it's definitely something. A thing. Rosie, are you really not going to say anything? She's just laying on my lap, everyone. Can you say hi? No. No. Seems uh, right. She's earned it after all this time. I know. They're so sweet. Hug your family. Hug your kids. Take care of each other. If you're going to be mean online, just like think about not. Just don't be mean. You know? Just don't say anything. Yeah, just don't. If you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say it. Just buy a punching bag and do that instead. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know when we'll record again. I would say that we'll probably try to do something semi-regularly, but I can't guarantee it. I think right now, Leanne and I need a little bit of freedom to kind of do our thing, but we'll try to keep doing something for you guys as much as we can. So just know that we're around and uh, we're here. We're we're surviving. Yeah, Yeah. we're surviving. We're, you know, we're just like all of you guys. We're just trying to balance it all and not go crazy in the process. But yeah, we love everybody and we hope you guys are taking care of yourselves. Yeah. Do what we're doing. Put your family, mental sanity and work first and the rest of it will follow. Yeah. All right. Well, we will see everybody, or I guess hear everybody, soon. Yep. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.